because we were just, you know, kids in our 20s with an idea and it worked out. But I think um, we really wanted to aggressively grow this as a spotlight to shine you know, a light on all the amazing work that's being done in online video, which at the beginning, it wasn't. There was no differentiator. It was people, people weren't making money. So right. that definitely wasn't a way that they could sort of draw attention to their success. So it was really some things like the Streamy Awards, being highlighted in TubeFilter, being a feature creator right. in a conference, that, that was it. In this episode, we talk with Drew Baldwin. Drew is a passionate, outspoken advocate for original video programming online. Each year, Drew brings together the biggest names in online video. Drew is best known for being the founder and CEO of TubeFilter. His passion has led him to foster the promotion and legitimization of a new independent professional entertainment industry. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Welcome back to the Creative Disruption, where we talk about everything that's disrupting the industry. And I'm joined by my co-host, Ricky Ray Butler. How are you doing, Ricky? I'm doing great. Thank you. So I was on Twitter today, and I actually saw a tweet from Jim Lauderback with VidCon. Now, we had Jim on just a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that they actually had a new featured creator that's going to VidCon. Do you want to take a guess who that is? <laughs> Um, this is it wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Tana. <laughs> oh my God. You saw the yes, same tweet. Yeah. You already saw the same tweet. <laughs> well, like give little context. Last year, um, she decided since she wasn't, uh, you know, a feature creator that she'd start her own conference. And I run a conference, so I know all the logistics behind it. it it's oh, it like, ended up it being does, a disaster. It, it is like so many moving parts. There's so many different things that are going on. And if you don't do it right, you have a lot of liability. And, and when I, I think the idea was great, say, hey, let's get the fans together. Let's not charge anything, which is like you got to charge something, you know, if not, there's some liability. But what happened was uh, a train wreck. You know, that I don't do, do you. Oh, no, I, I followed all of that. I know because that, that, that was intense. I think we were at VidCon. You're like, hey, do you want to head over there? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm glad we didn't. Yeah. But no, um, no, I, no, I agree. Like. Doing an event, there's so many logistics involved. Like, there's, I mean, that's just a huge risk in the first place, and you just got to be really prepared. And but I'm I'm very happy that that Jim did that. That's a very stand. I mean, he's a really stand up guy. He's like, a stand up guy. Good person. And um, you know, it, it was it was nice. You know, they were able to you know hear that really loud complaint and you know let her in. Yeah. Well, I, there's a couple things we talked about VidCon in the past, especially with Jim and going there and seeing the evolution of VidCon. You know, since VidCon one to you know where it is today. One thing that I noticed, it's like that fan creator experience is is a little scary. I, I remember the first time it really got crazy. I think it was VidCon three. Maybe two, but it was like you had all these tweenies that would just run around, and this guy was like a Pied Piper, you know, just he's a creator, and everybody's like trying to follow the creator where it is, and it's just like I could see it getting out of control. And I know the last couple of years, uh, just because of the crowd and everything, um, you know, they've taken additional measures, especially with everything that's in the news and all the people that are doing some cr pretty crazy things. Yeah, and, and it's good that they've you know taken those measures. Like um, I remember VidCon one. 
I think it was like it was a conference full of introverts. It, it was like all the it, geeky, it, the you know, geek, nerdy exactly. people, you know, from the from the internet came together, and it was very respectful. And it wasn't as loud, but after a couple of years, it was like the British invasion all over again. Yeah, and I got really crazy, and and you know, as a result, when they introduced got more concerts dangerous. and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh so. yeah. Well, so VidCon definitely uh, disrupted the industry, and I really love it a lot. And it's like bringing the the community together even further. Now, our guests that we actually have on was able to disrupt it a little bit differently because, you know, with television, you have like the Oscars and I guess the Oscars was movies, right? But you have mm -hmm. Grammys with, with television and you have all the awards, but our, our guest actually founded something different. Do you want to introduce our guest? Yes. Today, we have a good friend of mine, um, I'm Drew Baldwin. Um, who is the founder of TubeFilter, as well as the creator um, and executive producer of the Streamies. Mm -hmm. And the Streamies, if you haven't heard of the Streamies, um, is basically like, you know, the Grammys, but for um, video creators, right. um, online video creators um, across a variety of platforms from YouTube to Twitch to Instagram, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's evolved. Definitely, but it really reflects the state of the industry. So whatever platforms are of the moment, um, they're being reflected among the nominees of the Streamy Awards and the winners. I remember my first time going to the Streamy Awards. It was a while back. What year it was, was it? Uh, I don't remember. Who was performing? <laughs> <laughs> See, he does. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is that it was still really new to the YouTube community. Was it at the Beverly Hilton? Yes. Okay. It was. I think I think it was one of the first years you guys were doing it there. Oh, actually, no, no, maybe it wasn't. Or was it the Palladium? Which is in Hollywood, was right? Vanilla Ice there. I, I don't remember. You would remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was um, Sir Mixalot performing? Possibly. Starship. Man, my, my, usually during the performances, I'm out doing okay. something else. He says he but, remembers it, but he doesn't really remember it. It was so memorable. <laughs> it was like the best event ever. I you don't even remember Look, there's an open bar, so. <laughs> no, I wasn't there for Vanilla Ice. Um, I don't remember the performance specifically, but I do remember that you know everyone was just pumped to be there. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of creators that wanted to go that couldn't go because it was just such a hot thing. Well, and, it, and it still is that way. And it was the first time something like this actually happened in the community where you, know, you had VidCon, you had playlists and different events that were being successful. But I think the first award show um, was, was Streamies. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, the Streamies started before VidCon. Uh, it's just we've... We, it's the ninth annual show that's coming up um, at the end of the year, but we actually started in 2009. Uh, it was just an idea, and it just was really, really good timing. And I could go into a little bit about the origin of it um, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, who who were the, like the first? Like, what was the first communities involved? So, I mean, there were there were they were all over the place. So it was a really interesting time in entertainment when we founded the Streamy Awards. So we had founded TubeFilter, and we the, the idea of TubeFilter really was to celebrate this professional style of treating video content on the internet as opposed to just random viral stuff. So it was about intentionality is really what our distinguisher was. We would see videos that were just funny, like a baby farting baby powder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then there was also people who were really trying to tell a story. So the baby farting with, you know, the the 
baby powder. Is that professional or is that? Uh... Well, I mean, I think that was just like a funny video that went viral, but there was no repeatability. Right, right, it wasn't right, really right. building an industry out of that. You know, like Charlie bit my finger, sure. um, the proverbial dog on a skateboard. Um, I mean, we've kind of gone full circle. Last year we had the Milkbone Dog of the Year, but those were about heroic dogs on the internet, not just uh, famous dogs. In fact, some, there's some pet. Some pet tragedies uh, yeah. recently. Grumpy cat. We lost. That's the only cat. cat in the whole wide world I actually liked. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't have a lot of hate. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it is. Like, there's definitely been pet uh, pet tragedies. But um, what I found fascinating with the streamies, and this is something that I, I've noticed so far. I've never been. Um, but it's like there is kind of a leveling up. It's like you, you know when you treat a uh, an industry that it is emerging and there's certain things that are happening. People need accolades and awards and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it filled a niche uh, perfectly with a lot of people says, how do you even make money with online video? But yet here, when you like bring in awards and people together and it just really starts to say, Hey, no, this is its own industry. This is something that's going to, um, have more entertainment and so on. People are going to aspire to be these creators one day. Um, I look at some of the people that you featured this last year and, you know, you, you go to mom and dad's and some of them might not know, but you have kids. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I know who those people are. Yeah, totally. If you if you have young people in your household, then you know all about the Streamy Awards. If not, um, I'm always surprised when someone above 30 or 30 years old knows about the streamies. It's like, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're not our target demo, but hey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so with TubeFilter, it was always an industry focus. Like we were interviewing people and publishing their stories on TubeFilter, people who were passionately driven online video creators. And it was a, it, was, it ran the gamut in terms of platforms. Um, yes, there was YouTube, but there was also Microsoft had its own network, the MSN network and Zune. There was this um, platform called Strike TV. Hulu was starting to do original production. Right. Netflix really wasn't at that point, if, if I recall. So in 2009, there was a strike in Hollywood and all the writers did not write. And if, if you know anything about production and entertainment, the script is like the skeleton and the exactly. backbone of everything flows from that. Everyone, the production designer, the director, the actors, right. the guy who like does the portable toilets, they're all dependent upon this script. And so since there was no script. A big portion of our business, you know, at, at Ben, it's, it's the same. Whenever there's a strike, we get really nervous. Yeah, um, because it affects you know productions. So, going live so it became this thing where there's a lot of creative people who are not working, and there was also uh, an opportunity to make a political statement with the internet. Like we don't need the studio system, we don't wow. need you. Let's rally behind, and let's do, let's work, let's rally together, and you know threaten the establishment using the internet. So it was a really great year to, to launch the Streamy Awards. I mean, we didn't do it intentionally that year, but it was a fantastic first year of the Streamy Awards because not only did we be able to invite all of the native talent that was emerging in online video, like Felicia Day, mm -hmm. we also could bring um, some more traditional entertainers like Neil Patrick Harris, who was in a Hulu original called Dr. Hor Horrible's Singalong blog. And that was like a big, <laughs> we like right. broke Hulu. It yeah, was amazing. Yeah. And so we, uh, that, that sort of amalgam was the first ever Streamy Awards. And it was a huge um, 
surprise success. And we had really great moment. It seemed like this was the award show of this new revolution in entertainment. Um, but uh, there was so much idealism at that right. moment. It was super, super exciting for us. And, you know, we thought, oh, wow, we figured out life. I mean, all you have to do is figure out what you want. And just, uh, that's the hardest part. It's like, right. figure it out, have people go on strike, and then things will work for yeah, us. Yeah, so we, I mean, we got very, very lucky the first year. And um, in subsequent years, we tried to aggressively grow the show and then partnered with Dick Clark Productions, who's oh, a veteran, great. veteran award show producer. They produce the Golden Globes and the American Music Awards and the Billboard Music Awards and the Academy of Country Music Awards. And... Of course, Streamies. the streaming awards, yeah. and they just brought that like you know half a century of production experience because we were just you know kids in our twenties with an idea and it worked out. But I think um, we really wanted to aggressively grow this as a spotlight to shine you know a light on all the amazing work that's being done in online video, which at the beginning. It wasn't. There was no differentiator. It was people. People weren't making money, so right. that definitely wasn't a way that they could sort of draw attention to their success. So it was really some things like the Streamy Awards being highlighted in Tube Filter, being a feature creator right. in a conference. That that was it. Right, so right. I want to switch gears because, like, like one thing is part of my ritual. If it's not every day, it's like maybe every other day that I go onto your website and see what's actually going on in the industry. And like Tube Filter has been a wonderful place for me to get news. And I, I do notice that some blogs and, and some news outlets, they kind of skew a certain way. Uh, but when I go on, I know I know what I'm going to get. I know I'm going to get industry news that's going there. I might even get some features of people that I don't even know about, you know, which is which is amazing. Just getting people on the radar, and then every once in a while, there's like a, a whole education track too. I mean, you might have some education. Someone's talking about the algorithm or whatever. It's just this whole uh, wonderful blog, and it's like I love it. I love it. I get the notifications. I go like like I said religiously on it. Um, how did that all start? And like, what's your like what was the main goal when you're setting up uh, this blog and how has it changed over the years? Well, first of all, it's just so miraculous to hear you talk about this because it's something we made up. Like it's very, it's very just, it's just so cool for you to validate that impulse we had yeah. uh, 10 years ago when we started TubeFilter. We... It's an interesting story because originally I had been a producer and director in digital video. So prior to working in online video, I worked at an agency, a talent agency, in the commercials and music videos department. And commercials and music videos are short form content and it was very easy transition into digital entertainment, online video. And I started directing, I got paired up with um, some creative guys out of Louisiana called Studio 8, and they worked with a creator named I, Justine, Justine is Eric, yep. and we did a bunch of projects together, went to Alaska, went to Chicago, and a buddy of mine, um, we were in high school together, um, who was an actor, wanted, he was very, very excited about the online video space and wanted to produce original content. There was no industry there, but there was definitely this creativity and this new way, new faces, diverse faces in online video. So we set out to open up a development shop, like accept scripts, and we had some financing. But we um, very quickly learned that there wasn't really an industry. And 
in order to get our name out there and get connected, we had a blog called TubeFilter, you know, basically <laughs> TubeFilter.com slash news. I had no idea. Yeah. And so we, we just, wow. you know, we, we wanted to find out like what we were doing. We hosted meetups and we had this thing called a comedy meetup that we would bring uh, people who were creator, creators together. And it's so funny because a lot of the people that we were working with are, are now sort of big shots here and... Um, in the online video space, like the Next New Networks team, right, who are sure. now you know all over the place, including having been acquired by YouTube. Um, but you know you have like Kathleen, Grace uh, at um, New Forum and um, Ben Rellis at mm-hmm. YouTube, Tim Shea who's at YouTube. All of these folks, um, we just became uh, the hub for this burgeoning industry of yeah, pr- primarily introverted people. So we were able to like you know host uh, mixers and it was deliciously <laughs> awkward and but we would also seriously write about people. It was really uh, our way of championing um, the industry that was developing. The same way that L.A. Times championed like under you know Chandler's mm-hmm. um, direction, like championed Los Angeles. We've always sort of had a mission to elevate and celebrate this amazing creativity that's going on. So right. when did it shift? Like, like when did it shift to that type more news? And it went very quickly because we realized that there was no industry. Like people were doing this as a passion project, like Joss Whedon, some of the bigger name things, passion project. Felicia Day, she had a show called The Guild. Right. Totally passion driven. In fact, she put, she built a website for the show and put a, a PayPal donate button on it. And that's how she literally, she funded the show. So if you look at like one of the original Streamy Awards speeches mm-hmm. from the first ever Streamies, if you go into like the Streamies YouTube channel and you go back to the first one, like Felicia talks about she was an actress trying to book commercials. Wow. And she's like, I was tired of waiting for permission to be an artist. So I created my own show. And it was like, it was perfectly focused too. It was... For gamers, it was about like multi massive multiplayer gaming. It's called the Guild, and it really resonated with um, people who were already on on computers playing. And then, of course, they did a big deal with Xbox, and that's when it just like exploded because wow. you know you're on Xbox playing a game, and then you're watching the entertainment that's really made for you, right? That sort of niche focus, and it became super super successful. Um, and that's that's when we started noticing that there was really something here, but no one was really there was no business there. There was a thing called Quarter Life, which was Marshall Herskovitz's idea. You had a company called Vugaru. You like there was all these ad hoc networks, and everybody was kind of hosting their own player. Like because of the strike, there's a thing called Strike TV where there's a lot of original programming, but there wasn't really, I mean, there was definitely not a YouTube originals program. Right, there was right. barely a partner right. program at that point. And you had to like be inducted into it. See, when I, yeah, wow. when I was working, there was, there was actually somebody who was the editor of the YouTube homepage, a human being wow. that picked <laughs> what was going to be featured. But that proved to be, I think, a big liability. Yes, and, it did. Uh, so now it's re- she was replaced by her name is Felicia Williams. She was replaced by an algorithm. Yeah, Google Brain, <laughs> as we all will be one day. I'll <laughs> be robots <laughs> one day. You know, th- this all makes sense. I mean, I, I didn't know the, this this detail. I mean, all these details from your history, but it all makes sense because I remember 
like probably like six years ago, seven years ago, out of nowhere, everyone was talking about Drew. And, and I, I've been a part of the industry, you know, over a decade. And I was like, who in the heck is this guy? This like, you know, tall Casanova, charming <laughs> gentleman, you know, and I keep seeing all these events and that everyone, creators as well as everyone in the business seem to know and want to get, and then want to get close to. And that, that just makes sense. So you basically, you know, built an infrastructure of connecting the community, both with two filter as well as like with the streamies. When did the streamies pivot to mainly focus on you know the, the content creators and influencers that we know today? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So the first streamy awards, really, we didn't know what we were doing. So we modeled it after the Golden Globes and the Emmys, with director and writer mm-hmm. and set designer, and tried to look at that because I think a lot of people who were creating original production and online video. We're doing serial episodic. We called them web series at the time. Some people called them webisodes, which I just thought was just a tough word for me. <laughs> webisode was like if you had like a TV show and then the marketing department there's made you do webisodes. There's a lot of terminologies being made up back then, for sure. But um, they were always unique. They're taking a unique approach to it, mostly because they were confined by budget, the ability to, the, the constraints of the equipment, the technology. So that creativity really focused what would happen. Then there was this phenomenon. It was this series called Lonely Girl 15. And it was this um, really show remember. that you couldn't tell whether it was a vlog on YouTube or like was Hope it real. Oh, you so haven't that, seen this? No. Oh, you need no, to go watch this. Yeah, we, she was like, was she kidnapped? Like, well, it oh, was, okay. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. Like, they, they were super, super smart. Meta. Yeah. meta. Yeah, super, super smart. And when I watched it, I was like, whoa, this is like way before their time. And they were just like some friends that decided to, you know, um, pull it together. But it was a full production. They had writers. They had producers. They had directors. But it looked like a vlog. It was a a vlog. And it was just like, it it was like, okay, did she get kidnapped? Is it, you know, (laughs) like there was a lot of worried people on the internet about her. But yeah. That yeah. was way back when. I yeah, forgot it was founded all about by that. Uh, two partners. One it's called Equal, and one of the partners was Greg Goodfried, who's now an agent at United Talent Agency. And so it's you know they're they're it, like, all these people are they've been in the business for a long time. It's so funny to actually say that like online video is a long time. Yeah, it's maturing now. Yeah, yeah. it's maturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we I think honestly we missed the YouTube the first wave. Um, with the streaming awards for the first year. There was like a vlogger category and we kind of cramped all of YouTube into that category. Sure. Um, and you know, I had some relationships in the community, but mostly, you know, we were doing an awards show, we were focused on sort of elitist, you know, uh, cinematic, episodic style content. But it became very clear to us um, that there was something very, very powerful with this sort of YouTube directed audience type of production. And I think it was maybe around the third Streaming Awards after our, our um, partnership with Dick Clark, which mm-hmm. sort of delayed the third one to the end of the year. It was the beginning of the year. So that's why we're kind of not, even though we started in 2019, we're, uh, 2009, we're only in our ninth show this year, um, where we really 
dug in and doubled down on YouTube content and created these subject categories like beauty, science and education, things that are completely native to the internet, like collaboration and cover song, which was really big at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then, you know, new platforms would come like Vine had its moment. Um, and we, I feel like we really captured that. Um, well, I remember, I remember the the year you had Vine, and it was it was very uncomfortable because you had the Vine crowd and the YouTube crowd, and they just didn't seem to like it along. They didn't, yeah, they didn't. <laughs> it was so awkward. Yeah, I mean, and, awkwardness is is, um, you know, that's what we live I on. Brittany <laughs> Louise Taylor, or, 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 or who was it? It was. I remember somebody going up there and saying, "Thank you for accepting us here. I know that we're new." <laughs> like like, like mentioning the elephant in the room. Totally. And and but it was it was weird because you could just tell when the Viners got awards, it was just like kind of like you know soft clap. It wasn't it, it wasn't the crowd, but but everyone you, was everyone was scared of Vine. Right. It was easier to produce. Remember, this is pre Snapchat stories. This is pre Instagram stories. Right. It was easy. It was highly viral. It really connected. There was an extraordinary amount of creativity. There were some easier really to, diverse faces easier too. Easier to collaborate with the with, with oh, the yeah. Viners yeah. than was with YouTubers. It was, it was a one-two punch, literally, mm -hmm. bang, bang. You know, video uh, caption. And I remember Chris Williams, who's founder of Pocket Watch, is like right. Va He was at Maker Studios at the time. Mm -hmm. He said, "Vine is what keeps me up at night." I remember that. Wow. And so there, I mean, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing story too. I mean, it would like it provide like the top viners were all uh, people of color. It was like a it was a huge moment, a sort of renaissance in online video. Um, people could just pick up a phone and be a star literally in weeks. Well, there's more diversity, I'd say, in YouTube at the very beginning too, at the yeah. top. Yeah, and and, then, and then it did you know that's something that did you know um, I guess history repeated itself with Vine, where where you know it was a much more diverse group, but but for me like from my perspective it's it's funny you know that you know from like an MCM perspective thinking okay Vine kept them up at night from from our perspective we're like awesome we have another you know channel um, where we can take our brands yeah, and like integrate right. into the content and that's all you could do on Vine because they yeah. didn't ever monetize it in the same way YouTube did which YouTube did an amazing job. I have to say, professionalizing the industry because right. yes. it was it took uh, a group of passionate artists and it gave them the ability to live and and like make this their craft. Mm -hmm. Which we, we have this thing called Creators Going Pro. It's a series that we do on TubeFilter where we talk about that moment when you as a creator went pro. Like you right. quit your job right. and you went full time. And that wouldn't have happened without the YouTube partner program. And then later that injection of $100 million in premium original content when YouTube launched its mm -hmm. original slate. I don't even remember what it was, it was called. So, um, but Vine, you had, to, you had to do integration because there was no other way. And because as a Viner, you couldn't get comfortable just producing content. Those creators were always looking for the next opportunity, whether it was integration or it was yeah. jump. You know, I like, think bam, they just jumped oh, on the next platform. For sure. 
very easily. And I and I think too, they're probably the most creative people too, because like you got six seconds. Like you, you what are you going to do to engage them well enough that they'll want to watch it and rewatch it and you know come back time and time again? It's just yeah. like. I, I, I think of the AB family, like some of the most creative vines I've ever seen. And then they were able to translate that over to, to YouTube later on and Facebook. And, you know, it's a, just a lot of the vine creators were able to, I mean, able to translate it, you know, from, 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 from vine to YouTube or, or Instagram. Many of I, them I, were. Yeah. Many of them, not all of them, you know, um, there's actually um, one, one person, um, Jordan Burt, who, who at one time was like a really large viner. He used to actually be our employee. Um, at, at Plaid back in the day before we acquired, we got acquired by Ben. And um, it, it was funny because he, he said, hey, um, I'm leaving and um, yeah, I have like 30,000 followers on Vine, so I'm just going to start doing that. And I was like, oh, whatever, that's not going to really go anywhere. And then literally three months okay. later, he had like three million followers. So, so you're like, okay, <laughs> now you go back to him. Okay, we're ready to do an integrated brand deal. Oh, well, we did, we did. <laughs> no, we, we brought him several integrated brand deals because, you know, he was one of the bigger ones. But He probably he, got paid more. He, he, didn't, he ended up not going over to YouTube like everyone else did. But, but there's a huge Vine invasion that happened on YouTube yep. where, you know, you have the David Dobrik, you have the Liza Koshis, you have the Paul hey, You don't think of them as Viners. No, you don't, not anymore, because they're the next generation of you know YouTubers or, or creators, right? And and I remember being I think it was at a conference. It was either at VidCon. No, it was that is that is that playlist where I was I was on a panel and there's a large YouTuber and this is like six years ago or like five years ago. A large YouTuber is like it's too late to get famous on YouTube. You know it's very saturated and 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 you know. I, Not I, I, I told him, I was like, that's, that's false. I was like, look at all, look at everything that's happening on Vine right now. And, right. And yeah, I mean, it, it does before it really, they really hopped over. That was a fear of ours with the streaming awards. Like, okay, are we going to, we're going to build these awards and categories of awards. Is it going to stagnate? Right. Because you know, many of the creators and the channels that we celebrate are, it's not like a production, it's like a movie that comes out and then, or a season. It's, it's really, some of these are evergreen channels, but those creators that are rising and, and um, sort of having their moment, which is really the streamies is celebrating those in our community who are, you know, let's, let's shine a light on them and like celebrate they had a great year, right? It's not about the best because it's so subjective. Right, right, it's right. really about let's create a cross section of, the, of the, what we've done as a creative community and put it out there and, you know, put it out there for the world to see. You know, and 7 million people watch streaming awards. It's a great way to, advocate for this industry. So I think um, YouTube's also done a great job for Vine. I think the, many Viners were making money through compilation videos on YouTube, like, you know, through collab. Absolutely. Um, that, you know, that the collab creators network. They, they saw that YouTube was a viable opportunity to monetize mm -hmm. with regularity, not just the occasional, you know, massive Ben deal that gets to come in and, mm -hmm. and float the rest of your operating budget, but mm -hmm. actually steady incremental. Now, there are new platforms that are coming out that are moving with much more rapid acceleration than Vine ever did. Instagram also, when they made the decision to um, you know, utilize the Facebook momentum to launch that and really rip a lot of market share away from Snapchat, an amazing move. Um, now we have TikTok, which is just coming out of nowhere. Exactly. It's exploding, and I'm like, I'm curious. Well, actually, learn from Dance is one of the smartest companies out there. They're they're doing this not just with TikTok, but another um, platform called Douyin, um, on uh, in China, 
and 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 they're they're they to be reckoned with. I think they're scaring a lot of the platforms out there. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton just soaring. There's not a ton of transparency around it. That so we, you know, I like to hear. I mean, obviously, this is your podcast, <laughs> not mine, but um, you know. Are brand deals working? Are these numbers real? I mean, is this really happening? Or, or is there really resonance? I mean, I see it anecdotally everywhere, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, you never know. There's the, been a lot of platforms that come and gone that have big there. numbers. Yeah. No, no, you're right. But you know what? Vine worked to 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 the best that it could. Um, but no, TikTok is definitely the real deal. But um, this is where it, where it gets interesting. Um, I have a theory. You know, Vine could have been a, a power player, and they, they could have kept their momentum if they were smart. Um, and, and you know, Snapchat, even though Snapchat's still very relevant, they made some mistakes early on. And if you if you want my biased opinion, um, being that you know, you know, we we as a com- you know the company that I run, we focus on getting in content whether it's Hollywood or these digital video platforms. The issue is they did not make it easy. Both both platforms. Um, Snapchat and Vine, neither made it easy um, for creators to really monetize with integrations. And what I mean by that is brands are very sophisticated. They want to be able to measure their ROI. They want to be able to have as much data as possible. And if you don't allow, um, you know, you know, to be able to have links or to be able to click out of your platform, you're really making it so the the creator is no longer empowered. And I I, I believe Vine. I mean, to the, to this day, would still be very relevant if they would have just made that one adjustment. That, and and really catered, and really catered to monetization for the creator. One, outside 100%. Of, yeah, outside have of have integration, if, if they would have just you know, figured out and made it a priority to have a rev share yeah. you know, with, 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 ad, with ads, kind of like an AdSense, or you know, empower the, the integration, that is something that would have made it so that, that, I guess, Vine economy would have been fueled and it would have exploded. Look what happened with, with Instagram. I mean, Instagram started video, stole a lot of the market share, but they, they didn't make out yet. other things too. Right. But once they started <laughs> stories, once, once Instagram started stories um, and, and where you could swipe up, Snapchat for us became immediately less relevant. We immediately thought, okay, these audiences are just as big, if not bigger on Instagram compared to Snapchat. Let's spend where we can measure clicks and conversions. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting. I think TikTok is – it will be the number one, if it's not already, most downloaded app in the world. I know it is in certain regions, yeah. but it's it's very interesting. I, I think it's um, bringing a level of creativity um, that's similar to Vine, um, but it's taking it, I think, up a notch. Um, and you can massively grow. I've seen people go from nothing to be, you know, just in a few weeks having, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. And so I think it's very interesting. And then they are playing a lot into monetization. I mean, that is part of their strategy and they are making it easier for creators to make money. Uh, and they're also giving money to creators too, you know, to help seed um, some some talented creators to create content and go from there. So I'm, I, I'm very fascinated to see how it goes uh, this year. Um, but it, it's going to be it's going to be about um, you know the usability and the uh, the findability of of content creation. And so one one of the issues that I have with TikTok um, is if you don't post, you're dead, and and you have to post a lot. And I see creator burnout being a, a huge issue, you know, where they can't go search and find. And like if you stop posting, you're stopping making money, basically. Yeah, I mean, you get creator burnout. You also get audience burnout. Yeah, um, there's a kind of backlash right now to this compulsivity 
that happens on both sides right. of the camera, right? So, mm-hmm. or the screen, rather. <laughs> so you have um, creators that totally burn out, uh, and then you have uh, audience members who are like, compulsively scrolling, and then that leads to other issues that are being combated now where people are putting their phones down. They just can't engage in this this hamster wheel. Yeah. And I've noticed that through, you know, through all these new apps that come out, YouTube's also kind of been a constant the entire time. Yep. And it's like no one ever talks about, oh, well, TikTok's coming out, you know, YouTube's threatened. They talk about, oh, TikTok's coming out, other mobile platforms are in trouble. How are they going to respond? And I think it's because um, YouTube's, it takes more work and time to produce a YouTube video and it takes more time to consume a YouTube video. And so it's like a more of a, of a meal, yep. you know, for the consumer. And so I think that's like really interesting that like, you know, a lot of people I think are gonna build up on TikTok and then they're gonna launch their YouTube channel and, for sure. and, and, and you know, do a little bit more long form and, and then develop a series, maybe do a YouTube original or maybe go, uh, you know, to traditional television or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the only thing uh, with YouTube, and I love YouTube to death. I really do. I spent too much time on it, you know, both in front and behind the camera and stuff like that. But YouTube has an issue. It's trying to become something that a lot of creators don't want it to become. And so it's like they want to become the cable TV network of, you know, of, of the industry. And I, I see like some internal push and focus to really professionalize it more. And there is just a lot of people out there that just want to do what the the original slogan of, of YouTube was, which is broadcast yourself. You know, they want to be able to to do it very quickly. And there's more and more hoops that are, are and pressures that are being added upon by these creators. And I see personally. Uh, you get a competitor that makes it easy to work with, but it, that it's searchable. It's you know that you can go find back catalog. Um, you're going to have YouTube's going to have some trouble because they're trying to push so much so uh, with original content. I think they want to become Netflix and you know the cable TV all merging together and get you know better production so you don't have these bad actors that's there. And I I, I really worry um, where the, the uh, platform's really going. And I think TikTok's interesting, and I don't think it threatens YouTube by, by no means, but it's like if they can resolve the problem of people searching and finding and have access to back library and making it a little bit easier for creators, then it's going to be a slam dunk. I'm hoping Amazon does something. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> well, they are doing something. Twitch.tv. Well, Twitch is, Twitch is amazing. Right. Twitch is amazing. And it, like, it works for uh, you know, a, a very good vertical. Um, but like for an end all for everything, yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too difficult to clone it and go from there. They have all the infrastructure in place, but ultimately it just I don't know. It's just a little bit different. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to try to create some type of hybrid of like Amazon, you know, streaming video prime and with with a Twitch. That'd yeah, be interesting. I, That'd did, be awesome. did, they, did anyone ever acquire Daily Motion? Because like Daily Motion started the same time as YouTube, and it just. I mean, that's a cautionary tale, I think. Wait, for didn't, didn't MCN acquire Daily I Motion? That, that's what happened. That might have been yeah, Meta. We, we should, we should have someone that actually writs articles on this. <laughs> yeah, Drew. <laughs> yeah, I, I think did Studio Seventy One acquire well, I, I Meta Cafe? Remember. Oh, that was Meta Cafe. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Daily Motion. I don't know if anyone. French company. Daily they Motion. do really well, but they're just eclipsed by YouTube. I mean, there's just. I think the recent statistic is that 500 hours of content are uploaded on YouTube every minute, yeah. and so. 
I, they, I, the thrust of their marketing, I mean, that's a big challenge because YouTube is so many things to so many people. Right. Uh, it's not like they're trying to be so many pe things to so many people. It's just that big that it's just, that's it. So mm -hmm. where are they looking to grow? Where are they looking to, where's the thrust of their marketing efforts? Um, you know, that's the hard, I think, challenge for YouTube is because they have a responsibility to the creator community as we know it, but then also like skinny bundle users. Um, they're doing huge initiatives with um, much larger tentpole projects um, because the opportunity is there. And, you know, Google is like a big, huge part of my life in terms of the business that I do in the suite of products that they have. And I think YouTube also, you know, wants to be able to provide that totality. Right. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm pleased to see that they're not trying to create a Instagram stories type of product, right? They're not doing <laughs> they that. Have, they have YouTube stories. Yeah, but it's... <laughs> He's trolling. <laughs> no, but I think... Um, oh, that's so awesome. But I think, you know, the, if the users are there, they, they should leverage it. I think sure. they, they, did, they did a very good job, like, staying... Staying relevant throughout this entire spectrum. I mean, there's over a decade old company yeah, in online video. Yeah. They, but I just, super pioneers. Just the last four years, um, they've hit a couple big bumps in the road. And like, I, I foresee a lot more issues coming out. And they are trying to address it. And they are trying to address it in the, the best possible way they can. And there's a lot more things that are going on that we're not aware of. I mean, we're, you know, we don't know all the internal things that are happening at YouTube and the things that, you know, where their priorities are at. But that being said, there is a disconnect between the creator community and YouTube right now. Uh, and it, that it, it's just like you get a sliver and you let it fester for a while and it just starts to inflame and get bigger, you know, and it becomes an issue before, before you know it, you have to amputate a finger off or whatever it is because it's that, that, that big of an issue. And I see what's happening at YouTube right now. It might seem small, but it's getting uh, more and more people worried to come on uh, and people that like they, they'll have employees like 18, 19 employees. And before you know it, they get rid of their partner program or they delete something or they say, oh, you, you had a pedophile leave comments on your thing. So we're, we're unmonetizing all your channel, you know, that that type of issue. And then they're hard to communicate. There's some major issues with the creators itself. Um, and when they first started to have issues, that's when they, 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 they were able to acquire next new networks and really build a good creator ecosystem and a good uh, way to communicate. But for how massive they are, they have a huge job uh, to try to be able to communicate uh, clearly and directly to the creators. But I want to just take a step back. And sometimes it's like not necessarily um, uh, addressing the issues when they're at, but being uh, proactive, saying like, let me just do the, the first kid apocalypse that went around. It would have been nothing for, for the CEO to get up and say, look, um, we had this happen. Um, you know, we, we heard these things, it's coming down. Uh, we're going to give you guys 48 hours to clean it up. Here's some guidelines of what you can do to clean it up. You know, and after that, we're going to start deleting channels and demonetizing it. And 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 let and it, what what happened was is uh, you know I don't know if you remember this but it was like on on Thanksgiving Day when there was no one you could actually con contact at YouTube, and everything got demonetized in some of the kids niches and channels and so on and it was like four days before you could even talk to a partner manager sometimes even five and it, it they didn't even respond back because they were just getting inundated by all these different things and so there are some challenges and hurdles and my my big thing is is that you, we got to grow and we got to be what 
what what what it is where it's going to bring in the money but if you really look at the core of what's bringing in the money it's the 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 people that are really creative and they attract an audience and that audience expects something from those creators and when you make it difficult for creators to get their video out to the the, the people that have subscribed to them and then also you you make it a very uh very difficult for them to actually make a consistent living that is when it it you know those are the problems that I probably are the most concerned about with YouTube, just because you have all this influx and, and, and you look at all the different people that want to, the, the kids that are coming up, they want to be a YouTuber and that, that you're going to have more and more people coming in. And I don't think it's oversaturated, but those issues are going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you have a lot of people that not only have burnout because of creating content, but burnout because they're dealing with issues that could have been solved by just some really good communication. Sure. I feel the, um, you know, YouTube is probably a little conflicted right now of like, of course, making advertisers happy um, as well as making the creators happy. And, and I agree in some ways that it might seem that they've lost their way of where they're trying to be more TV and more you know, like, you know, a TV network when, you know, I think, you know, if they looked at their data, the data probably shows that people like to consume as much content as fast, as fast as possible. Right. And, and, um, going towards more of the long form, you know, I think, you know, doesn't provide that, that demand or that need. But at the same time, I do, I do watch a lot of long form content on YouTube today uh, when I didn't probably like, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, you know, since there is like this conflict with, you know, advertiser, you know, what advertisers Well, they have a third want. one too. It's just not yeah. advertisers and creators. You have the third one, which is the viewer too. Yeah, the, you have yeah, to the balance consumers, out. the viewers. Because like they're, they're the most concerned with viewers because if, if the viewer has, you know, a, a disconnect, they're not getting content that they want to consume, mm -hmm. they're not going to come back. Right. And so that's one of their main focuses. And I think by far out of the three, they've done the best on that. Like I get exactly what I want to see. Oh, the, Google the, Brain is so great. The, the it, featured it, algorithm is amazing. It, it's it's unbelievable. To, I, they know exactly what I want to watch. But I, I guess the question is, is do you feel like there should be a, a much bigger focus on YouTube's part or Google's part to have premium? To make it, you know, so, you know, they get more subscribers there. So, you know, there's not that, that big of a conflict with, with ad agencies or brands. Well, the premium issue, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but the premium issue, just because of the Logan Paul thing and everything that's happened, mm -hmm. um, they're a lot more sensitive who comes into it. So I know right now they'll have to, like, an actual employee will have to go through their whole library to see if there's anything questionable. Sure. And uh, like, and I'll just, I'll just do it. I spent the weekend at a retreat that we just, you know, a few YouTubers get together. And Mr. Beast is one of those guys. He's not on YouTube Premium. Like, I, I, I just can't fathom it for That's crazy. How, many, how many people watch his content and the type of content. Like, he shifted. Like, he, he's clean in the sense of the content that he's doing. And, and he's not on YouTube Premium. However, he started a second channel that that basically has no flags no nothing and it's on youtube premium now so yet wow something something you know he's getting more money per per thousand uh views well, he's doing so much for that platform than most I, yeah, creators yeah, out we, there i think we're gonna do like a huge uh, like thorough analysis on mr v's and just because it's a phenomenon oh wow like what he's what he's producing is just amazing 
but but that, that's my my whole point about the the featured program, you know, for the preferred, because they YouTube from YouTube's perspective, and I I understand it from their perspective, mm -hmm. they have to have Google a preferred yeah Google preferred preferred. yeah yeah, so they have to have a um, a diverse portfolio. They need to have so do you have to be preferred to, in order to get rev? I mean, I guess rev share from the premium premium yeah premium. Oh wow, okay, I didn't premium realize ads. that. So. I assumed that everyone was just everyone that could make money off of ads. No, yeah, make money off. Yeah, the premium. partner program, which anyone can yeah. make money off yeah. as long as they get a thousand subscribers and have four thousand hours mm -hmm. watched, and that their content isn't breaking any community guidelines or terms of service. Hmm. But they're able to do that. Um, to get the higher ad revenue is reserved ads. And reserve ads are, hey, YouTube has the portfolio of these channels right, and it, right. here's I the demographics. That, yeah. And they're shopping the, the highest dollar for those. And so the CPMs and RPMs are just like through the roof. That's the yeah. 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 No, I, I think it's fascinating. But like for me, um, it, it's like the, the, the communication with the advertisers and with the creators need to improve. And like, they, they don't have that big of a team. Like I know all the people in the, the verticals that we have channels with, and there, there's, there, there are partner managers that are handling hundreds of channels. And how, how are you supposed to respond to that? You know, and, and even on top of it, you get just because of the channels that you're doing, if they're uploading, let's just say three a week mm -hmm. of the hundreds, you know, and they have some issue with monetization, how are they supposed to handle that? I just, I don't understand. And I know that they've um, outsourced a lot. So they have some uh, verification outside and then you can self-verify a lot of the content, but it, it's, a, it's an issue that they're going to need to get a lot of people in a think tank and come up with it. If not, I can just see a competitor and there's so much. Um, issues in, in creators' hearts right mm -hmm. now that they'll they'll jump ship very very quickly if if it's at all appealing. Sure, sure. I'm sure you guys have covered a lot on this topic. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's it's For more than you possibly complex. can count. I mean, you have a platform that because it anyone like said can broadcast themselves. Um, it really is like a reflection of humanity, and it has like the entire gamut of the human experience. Like the most beautiful, amazing things and the most dark and depressing, mm -hmm. um, hateful. So that's very difficult to balance that um, allowing freedom of expression, but also this sort of quasi moral um, parameters that you need to put on it, particularly in response to the advertisers who are only responding to general mainstream public. So it really is like this conversation between ourselves with ourselves, ourselves as creators mm -hmm. trying to communicate to an audience and that audience responding to those communications and the occasional cross communications where, you know, people are very offended. Um, there's a high level of sensitivity. Um, you know, the, these guidelines are getting more restrictive. And these companies like are, are starting to be treated like media companies that need to have moral directive, or at least some kind of ethical directive, and that's very, very difficult because it was built as an open forum, mm -hmm. and so uh, it's catch twenty two in a certain way because you want to be able to give everyone freedom of speech, but you also want to make sure that that speech is confined to right. certain yeah, yeah. parameters that are considered safe. So true, like you. 
you started to filter and you've had a good pulse of what's actually happening in the industry. Um, you've been able to see, uh, you know, people come and go in, you know, as creators, you've been able to see new ideas come and go. Uh, and you've, you've basically, um, done a great job documenting that and giving us the news. Where do you see things going in the future? I mean, based on all the information that you have and you see the pulse of the industry, where is it going to be like in a couple of years? I mean, there's right now it's, it's consolidating. There's a lot of consolidation. We've seen that. And also there's a, there's a lot of the strongest survive kind of trajectory. Um, just think about three, four years ago, how many multi-channel networks there were. Like MCN was a word that my mother knew, right? <laughs> and um, you know, because listen, TubeFilter, we we work in with a the community. There also are benefactors and sponsors and advertisers, and that sort of list has gotten uh, smaller and smaller in terms of. Um, the stalwarts of that era of multi-channel networks. And I think what we're, we're going to see is that divide between traditional entertainment and digital entertainment is, is you know, we've always said it's vanishing, but it, it truly is. I mean, you have Lily Singh is hosting a late night talk yeah. show. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, you know, a, a bunch of people like Kevin Hart, Shay Mitchell, Will Smith creating a YouTube channel. Yeah. So it's just like that yeah. crossover. Yeah, that crossover yeah, is happening. Like crossover is like really not going to be a relevant word, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in like this next crop generation. Every, every, everything like will crossover, be streaming online. What, what do you mean yeah. crossover? Like crossover from... Yeah. It, exactly. Entertainment to YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of a crossover artist. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, one thing I think eventually, I mean, I mean well, right now, I think everything... Is tr- you ha- you can stream online like everything that's on TV or broadcast is streaming somewhere, and 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 that's that's a that's a big step, like it, in, in entertainment. It is it is, and I, I I don't know. I think the thing that I see is we're going to be in an awkward period for the next couple of years of everyone saying, oh, I'm going to do my own original. I'm going to do my own uh, uh, SVOD platform, right? And they're pulling content off different platforms and just try to attract an audience. But I think what it's going to do, it's going to uh, further, like uh, Netflix will triple down or quadruple down on their original content. And I think it's going to give a lot more creators opportunity to create. And I see these platforms, uh, like YouTube is a mature platform. I think it's going to further solidify how it's going to create a, a new business even out of that. And I, th- I think it's, I, th- I think it's going to be, you know, amazing the next couple of years, but I think it's that awkward period of really trying to figure things out. You and know? that awkward period is going to have a variety of bubbles. It, and absolutely. I, I, I truly believe all the bubbles that we've had in our industry so far have been great and has made our industry even more healthy. You know, the, from the MCM bubble to, for example, the platform bubble where, you know, there, there, you know, there was, there's, I mean, probably over like 700 to a thousand different platforms saying that you could do a turnkey, you know, <laughs> um, campaign with with creators and influencers by just a, you know, a drop of a credit card, and we all knew that wasn't true. Well, um, I mean, we, what is the current bubble we're in right now? <sighs> I think it's a bubble of personality. So sure, there, you know, personality-driven content is just everywhere, but. There's a lot more cost efficiency and scale when it's an IP related um, business and not personality driven business. So, like you know, those those personalities that can tr- transition into sort of IP 
that's not dependent on a single person, that's going to be able to scale very, very well. 100%. So, and also I think there's a number of creative people, a huge amount of creative people that are not faces or personalities. They're creative, like creative creatives that are animators or they're, they're, they're doing artistic stuff where they don't want to be in front of the camera. And it's going to it's going to you know we're going to see whether those people are going to have a way to survive or do you have to be a director that's also doesn't let this film speak for itself but you also have to be a personality too right. like in order to be successful well, that you you nailed it right on the head and I, this is like something that I preach about a lot but it's like you have to build a team because the creative burnout aspect is so huge but you're right the whole this whole bubble is if you don't have a team, I don't think you're going to survive. Yeah, you might be able to, there might be some platform that will work that, you know, you're able to go on and, you know, integrate, but the quality of the content is getting, is getting better. And, and you're getting more people that are more organized and they have systems and, and strategy behind it. And they also have money. They have the money that's coming behind it. And you have people, you have uh, other money that's coming in and funding a lot of these projects. And so when, when you're, at the end of the day, what you're looking at is what what's going to get the people's attention and quality is going to be 100% grabbing more eyeballs than anything else. And I think that's where totally. that's where we're at. I mean, if you look at uh, Phil DeFranco, yep. you know, he says, we interviewed him many, many years ago. He said, like, the biggest thing that changed his entire trajectory as a creator was he hired an editor, which for creators is very, very difficult because editing is, is right. the creative process, really. It is, it is hand in hand. With, a, with production, it's really how you build your story. Mm -hmm. To be able to give that control over to someone else, especially as a self-made creator. You're not plugged into a system. You are literally built this yourself. And then to hand that over to someone else is a huge and scary thing. But then that allowed him to scale, yep. sell discovery, buy it back. I mean, he's, he's a business now. Yep. He's not just a creator. I remember I went and we watched, when he was with Discovery, we went to a soundstage and his bedroom was recreated on a soundstage in Hollywood. It was like, the, yeah, it was like, it was like what? <laughs> <laughs> that was just so Wait, cool. I thought it was your bedroom. Come on. But it, it enabled him and his team and the institution that he is to, to scale in such an amazing yeah. way. Well, I think anyone that's been able to pivot like Phil um, and be able to grow and thrive have always had a team to be able to do that. Um, it's very rare, I think. I think I think because of the burnout. Yeah, I mean, I, if, I if, you're, if you're burning out with trying to put content out there, you're not going to pivot when you need to pivot. I don't know how Shane Dawson does it because I think he still does it. Like, does he not have a team? I, I mean, he, that, I that, that, he that, that does, but, mind. but it. But he definitely has got me fooled. Oh yeah, that it's just him. You oh know sure, I mean? sure. So like that. That's interesting. Um, I feel like there's kind of two ways to go. You can go like the kind of Gary V way, yeah. where you're like a team and an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. <laughs> and a business person, or you can go like Shane Dawson, where you're like still a creator. Sure. I, mean, I know Shane's still in there editing and and like late nights. But, oh, wow. But I think, yes, there's probably a lot more of a team behind the work that he does. But I mean, it's incredible how he's also like, he was old school. Oh, yeah. He, he preceded he was very, everyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was very old and school. And just reinvents himself um, in a way that's not chasing a trend, but like just surfing it. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just, he's, he's a real inspiration too. No, absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for we you know, time? making time for us. Yeah, I think. It is it. Oh, I man. Think, I think we're over. <laughs> we're just getting interesting. Yeah, here. I know. I know. <laughs> but no, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to have you again. But no, thank yeah. you so much for having, you know, making time to come out here yeah. and, and be a part of this.
Thank you all for watching the Creative Disruption Podcast. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button on YouTube or on your podcast place of choice. Uh, and also, don't forget, we do this weekly. And tell your friends and go disrupt the world.